Cameron Lemons Devro back with another episode of Inside the Forest. A little bit of a bigger show today, talking about the thumping in Winston-Salem, Wake Forest put on Boston College over the weekend. I'm going to touch a little bit on basketball recruiting as there is an announcement set for Monday. Today, if you're listening to this on Monday um, at 6 p.m., another recruit that is coming in for a visual visit later in the week. And then we'll take a little bit of a look ahead to Louisville. Starting out with the game against Boston College, they whipped them down to down. They, they, they whipped them. A friend of the program, uh, Parker Fleming, CFB uh, Stats Award. You might know of her also as website, CFB Graphs. Usually puts out a, a graph every week that is, you know, did we really get beat that badly? Um, when all it does is just say the success rate. So essentially how down, how efficient were you down to down in relation to how efficient were you to limiting your opponent down to down? And just from looking at this graph, take seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Wake Forest was the 16th best team at that in this past, in this past week. They, they just walked them down to down. I mean, there was, there wasn't, there wasn't really a, wasn't much that BC could do. And, you know, I think looking at something like a net success rate is really interesting because it's not just, sometimes you can win by just not fluky stuff, but you were getting whooped down and down and stuff like turnovers and stuff, just like you randomly flip the field on some punts on a kickoff return, just randomness like that, like, or, or people just were missing field goals left and right. I look at that by saying you know, Pitt and Louisville, Pitt, I mean, by, Post-game win expectancies, I think Louisville had an over 50% win expectancy in that game. So, I mean, they were they definitely did some stuff right. But in terms of just down and down, Pitt was whooping Louisville. They they were whooping them. And But, you know, the tune of four turnovers from the Pitt offense really flipped up. I don't, I don't think anyone would agree that Louisville was, was 14 points better than Pitt on Saturday. But I think people would agree that Wake was at least 28 points better than Boston College on Saturday. Kind of going through each possession groups like I like doing, starting with the quarterback, Sam Hartman. Fantastic. I mean, I know he had a pick, and the pick wasn't his fault really at all. He put the ball on the ground once, and it was really weird because I don't think we've ever seen Sam Hartman fumble the ball ever. I mean, they got the ball back, so it was fine. But overall, I mean, 91.5 from – from PFF grade, if you're newer to the to the podcast or you know haven't really heard what the what the um or haven't really heard you know, what the grading scale is, ninety one point five is pro level. You know, if you're going over ninety, if you're grading at over ninety, that's that's pro level. And kudos to Sam, he did well. There wasn't really a whole lot they could do, and it's kind of intertwined with you know the running backs. I saw some people that were very much not. Very much not uh, happy with how the backs ran on Saturday. Let's put it to you like this. Boston College has not let a single team go over 80 yards. Excuse me, not let a single rusher go over 80 yards. I think combined, people will put up, you know, about 130-ish yards on the ground, um, the good teams have. But just a single single rusher, they're really Really good. Their style, their style of defense, that cover one where they can really put a, like a fifth person on the line or and have essentially dedicate eight to the box every single time. They can, yeah, they can dedicate seven, eight to the to the box every single time they want to, and they just win the math numbers on 
those on running downs. And that's just happened to every single person. FSU is one of the best teams to in the, in the ACC at running the football. And they didn't have that much success running against them. No one did. I mean, you know, I, I think you, you necessarily could, if you're saying, cool, you know, I want to see the running backs run more than, you know, 36 yards for Ellison on nine, nine carries, 29 for Christian Turner on seven carries, 15 for Quinn Cooley on, on seven carries. You know, cool. I when we see those numbers a little bit higher, sure, fine, it's great. But I mean, those two got those three guys combined for what twenty three carries total. Like that, this is some of the lower numbers that they. Wake Forest went into this game knowing they probably weren't going to be able to run the ball, and it had nothing to do with how they ran block, how they run block, and it had nothing to do with their running backs and any sort of talent wise. It was Boston College goes into games telling you you're not going to be able to run the ball, and you have to do something else with it, and. Wake Forest is uh, is just pretty efficient at the other part of the ball and other part of, of the offense. You know, I think I called this game pretty pretty much on the head when I said I thought that they were going to start out a little bit slow. Both teams, both teams, definitely start really slow. But I thought, you know, when you're playing nothing but cover one, just man to man press across the entire game. I mean, look at just these wide receivers. It's just a it's just a roulette at a certain point. Jamal Banks, seven catches on nine targets for 79 yards and two touchdowns. Perry has an 84.3. Uh, Fantastic. A.T. Perry only had three catches on three targets for 42 yards and a touchdown. Only. They were kind of bracketing him most of, most of the time. Um, you know, Keyshawn Williams, two, two catches for 36 yards. Taylor Moran, four, who I thought not was getting phased out, but you know he's definitely been a little bit quieter in the last few games. Four catches for 48 yards and two touchdowns. Blake Whitehart, three catches for 34 yards. Donovan Green had 11 targets. That's kind of one of our targets when him and Banks, five catches, 64 yards. I think the plan has been pretty clear of what they want to do whenever they're getting pressed and whenever teams want to go into cover one. I think we saw it against Clemson. Um, we saw it a little bit against Liberty as well. But, um, yeah, actually, I think we saw a lot of it against Liberty. So Liberty and Clemson and now both God, we have three games that are basically telling us when teams are going to play some cover one or just playing man-to-man, they're Sam is throwing the ball at Jamal Banks and Donovan Green. He's saying these two guys are that good against against press coverage. I think we can win that. And that's not saying he doesn't have trust in AT Perry. I think we all know AT Perry is his favorite target at this point. But I think AT Perry's strength is a lot more in finding soft spots in the zone. And you know, not when they whenever they don't have someone over the top and they're not bracketing him, which is fine. I mean, you know, like cool. Someone's not wanting to throw the ball into double coverage every time. Good job, Sam Hartman. Really happy about that. But yeah, I think when, when we're getting these press coverages, we're seeing the ball go more and more to Jamal Banks. We're seeing it more to go to Donovan Green. That's what I think we see. So it's going to be a really fun experiment, you know, moving forward of what sort of poison people want to want to, to play. I mean, we saw Army and FSU the last couple of weeks say we're just going to play too high. You know, we're still going to play a little bit of man, but, you know, we'll probably play a little more zone just to kind of see, can you guys make throws and A.T. Perry and Keyshawn Williams ate them alive. And now we can see we have more data to show when people play, you know, cover one press and just say, hey, you know, pressure guy off the line, man up. Jamal Banks and Donovan Green are just getting the ball and they're just doing a lot with it. So, no, it's really a pick your poison thing. And it's really a testament to Warren Ruggiero and his offense. You know, they, they, really, st- they really stepped up. Sorry, Les. Um, they really stepped up and said, hey, you know, we have the right game plan to beat cover one, to beat press, and they made the throws that they were not making against Liberty, and that's a, that's growth. 
that's a lot of grip. You know, there were some things to clean up. I mean, I knew the first the first drive wasn't gonna be clean. The drive at the end of the first half could have been could have been better. Um, I don't necessarily know if that was a I don't think that was necessarily a drop by Taylor Marin. Uh, I think PFF, yeah, PFF has him has him down for a drop there. But I mean, you could have you should have made that cat that throw and catch to extend to extend the drive and probably got a full two minute drew out of that one, but it is what it is. Not really gonna nitpick too much out of that. The rest of the offense, I mean, I thought up until garbage timing, up until garbage timing, you went punt, touchdown, 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 punt, punt, touchdown, threw a wacky interception, came back for two more touchdowns. I think you'll take that every, I think you'll take 43 points every single time. You, like that's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I mean, you scored 4.3 points per drive. That's you, you take that in a heartbeat and you run that. That is an insane number. So I you know, I mean, offense good. I thought they, I thought they blocked pretty well. I know Jurgens got a little banged up here and there. I think Jurgens will be fine. So nothing where we're out there. I thought, I thought they passed block pretty well. The run block about run block about as I expected. Fine. It's a team that you're just not winning the numbers game against. Yeah. They got yards when they need to on the ground. So not, not really too, too bad about that. Turning it over to the defense. Rondo Bothroyd might be another PFF team of the week. I, I think Sam Hartman might make it. Quarterback was really fun. It was really fun to watch quarterbacks this weekend. Uh, Sam Hartman might make it. Rondo Bothroyd might, might make it as well. 91.2 run defense, 90.8. Uh, pass rushing. I mean, as even before we knew the guys were going to be out, it just kind of edges have just had their way against Boston College this year. And Rondo Bothroyd and Jasheen Davis as well. I want to throw them in there too. These guys had their way. I mean, they could these these two combined for nine total pressures. Rondo had two sacks. Uh, they they combined for six hurries. Got a QB, well, QB hit out of Jasheen Davis. They set five tackles total six run stops. These guys, those two guys were just good. And part of it was they were playing against an offensive line that was decimated. And whenever they went up on that right side against the right tackle that shouldn't have been playing, that right tackle should not be starting for an ACC team. And it's not his fault right now. But whenever they, it didn't really matter which tackle they went up against. They, they brutalized that offensive line. Tyler Williams graded out pretty, pretty well. And he was definitely active. He was very close to a pick. I thought he was going to get there. It kind of sailed over his, his hand a little bit to go to Zay. Um, they, they, um, it was ended up being a drop ball anyways. But I was really impressed with him. Really impressed with guys like Deion Bergon, Kobe Turner. You know, Kobe actually didn't grade in the 80s and 90s this time, and I was stunned. Um, I think he, And I think he had a good game. He just didn't have a legendary game like he usually does. But I think that's just you – know, I, I think it was a good game from the defensive line. Linebackers, I mean – there's there I think hiring Glenn Spencer in the offseason. I, I I know Brett Lambert is also a fan was a fantastic hire. I think hiring Glenn Spencer for linebackers coach was the best thing this Wake Forest team could have done. It is night and day. Like we don't even have to get into I thought Dylan Hazen, Chase Jones played well, Quincy Bryan as well, Shane Hudson didn't have some moments. I think those those four guys have been really really good and they've and the younger guys have definitely come along we've seen progress out of Jalen Hudson which is astounding we've seen progress out of you know the young guys Chase um I'm seeing progress out of Jalen Hudson Chase Jones Dylan Hazen what's been impressive to me is what we've seen out of Ryan Smendup 
I think we all have known that Ryan Smenda has a ton and ton of ton of talent. You know, he can get, but he can get a little reckless at times. You know, a lot of times they were being put in, the wrong, in weird positions and taking wrong angles. And it just felt, it just feels all around that Ryan Smenda just is playing more confident. He's playing within himself. What's another cliche I can throw at you? Um, he's really been a lunch pill kind of kid. But I mean, in all honesty, I think he's been a guy that has just benefited so much from the coaching changes on the defensive side of the ball, especially Glenn Spencer. He's tackling so much better. And, but he, I think he's also just commanding the defense a whole lot better. You're not seeing as many miscommunications. You got a couple of miscommunications in this one, but it wasn't necessarily someone was pointing something out like, hey, there's a wheel route coming. Go do this and no one would go do it. It's, uh, you know, we just pass something off weird, which, you know, those those things happen weirdly in every game. You, you need to fix them, but those things happen weirdly in every game. But I thought I, Ryan Smenda has been playing very, very, very good football this year, and it's that's something that should not go unnoticed. I don't know if he necessarily makes you know, a first-team All-ACC team or anything like that, but, I mean, he's he's been playing extremely well. I mean, you know, I can pull up PFF right now and just so – I, mean, I think last year he was in like the hundreds of, of linebackers. Right now he's 45th nationally in terms of overall grade. Like that, like it's just night and day how good he's been. And I think it's it's gonna be go, it's gonna be a little bit of a quieter thing just because Wake's defense, I don't think will ever get the pub that it will it'll ever get the pub at say Syracuse has gotten this year or NC States or Clemson's, but he's been a very good player this year. Kicking it out to the defensive backs. First off, I, I was a little bit surprised about Kalen Carson not playing. You know, we had he's been out for a few weeks and then had a bye week. And we know he practiced a little bit and he went out there and warmed up. And I was a little when I heard he was warming up, I was like, okay, cool, he's probably gonna play. But you know, the more I kind of like throughout the week, I was like, I thought he would play, but I kind of was like, do you need him this week? I understand Zay Flowers is a big target, but the big thing about what Boston College does and what they did was they don't let you just shadow someone. They're not just going to put someone on the line and say, this is where he's going to be, whether he's just on, he's just in the slot or whether he's just out wide. That, not, they're not going to do that the entire game. What they did a lot, and with something that Wake does a lot to a lot of other defenses, which is why I have a bit of a pre- appreciation for it. And Michael, I'm like, hey, DB's got a, got a hard task right now is, They'll put people in a bunch formation. So they'll, they'll group, you know, a grouping of three or four receivers together and they'll have people break out in different routes. When you're lining up as like, when you're having your defense line up against that, you can't say, okay, Gavin, you have to have, no matter where, no matter where Zay Flowers is, you have to line up where he is and follow and shadow him. That's not how that works. There's certain leverages you can't give somebody. So it's a matter of, you know, you line up however you're going to you feel best to line up and say someone's getting whoever comes out to the flat. Someone's getting who's ever getting the crossing route across the middle. Someone's getting the sail route. But you don't really know which one of the three receivers or four receivers is getting that until it until the routes start developing. And so a lot of times what happened last, what happened on Saturday was you know, a, a, J, a J.J. Roberts would be over there, a Isaiah Wingfield will be over there, a Jamal, Jamal Martin and a Gavin Holmes. And, like, there would be a cavalcade of guys there, but, you know, where they had to assign people to, like, you know, where, where are you going to – which way are you going to cover, 
a lot of times it'd be a Jamal Martin that would be covering Isaiah. They would be an Evan Slocum, it'd be a Chalen Garns. I love those three guys to death. Those are three of my favorite players. If you've ever heard me talk about any of them, like especially in the second year, those are those are my guys. Everyone and their mother is going to take Zay Flowers on the safety, whether it's Chalen Garns or or um or Evan Slocum. They're they're going to take them in a heartbeat. Love love the guys. They're not covering a first day a first day pick at wide receiver. They're safeties for a reason. And Jamal Martin, I I, I like to pick up when they got him out of the transfer portal. I thought he's played some really good ball this year. He's your fifth corner. Yeah, like I, I hope Zay Flowers would go off on your fifth corner. I thought the I thought the long ball to well, actually before before we get to that long ball, let's let's just kind of set the stage for that. What would happen there? I don't think it's an excuse to be like you got off the field twice, but that was essentially a fifteen play drive because you got off the field twice. I mean, just running it back, you know, you got you get a three and out, a start drive, you're feeling good, you're cool whatever and then i believe clausen when he says it was punt safe went back and watched it today it was punt safe and then two guys and we're not going to name names here just flat out didn't play punt safe and it was really confusing because you can just literally see everyone else filling the holes that they needed to and then two guys just completely doing something that i don't know why they were doing that like i i was maddening confused and where those two guys were was exactly where on a random ball. Um, also, it was really like, the really funny stat of the of the game is the punter for Boston College ran for more yards than anyone else on the team for Boston College. So kudos there, uh, Danny Longman, the punter, run rush for ninety for twenty four yards. Uh, the next closest rusher was Phil Yorkovic at nine carries for twenty one yards. Garbo had seven runs for seventeen yards. Yeah, Wake did Wake Wake did well defensively. Yeah, so you have to say punt. You're like. All right, here we go. This, this is how BC has to move the ball down the field. It's a big point. And, you know, cool. You get another, another three and out. Great. Good job. Go team. And you're like, okay, cool. You, and, you know, it's, four, it's, fourth and, it's fourth and 11. You're up there at the wake 37. Screw it. I, I can totally see BC going, going for it here. We did. Bothroy just absolutely levels. Uh, Jerkovic knocks the ball out of his hand. So there are so I don't necessarily remember what the exactly the terms are for Dave Clawson's um, two types of fumbles, but there are two types of fumbles that you're taught in football. For what I was taught, it's a city and a country. City football is a ball that's like you're in a city. There's a lot of people around. It's crowded. Just jump on it. Live to fight another day. And there's country, wide open space. There's basically no one around you. You're good. You're good to pick it up and go and run. That one was the probably the definition of a, of a country fumble. Of there is no one around you from what I what you can tell at all, and where anyone can tell. And I think it got talked about in the, in the post game press conference. Is it just kind of felt like the O lineman for BC just came out of nowhere and just knocked the heck out of out of Jasheen, cost the ball. And you're just like, really? This is how they can do set of downs. Then the next play is a botched snap for eleven yard loss. And then finally, they, you know, JJ gets just cooked on a route and it's a 61 yard touchdown in Zay Flowers. You know, that, that can't happen. I mean, you've got to feel twice, man. That, that, that play as a whole probably doesn't, shouldn't happen. And that, that's why I'm guessing I'm less mad about it. I think it's, I think it's, you, know, you can't have that happen. But on the whole, I'm like, you got off the field twice here. And that play probably doesn't happen. I don't know if that's necessarily repeatable, that sequence. 
but whatever. So, I mean, I get being upset with it. It can't happen, but you 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 were off the field twice. So defense defense did their job twice. So whatever. Um, but I think as a whole, the defense. I, I was really impressed with the defense. I'd probably give this entire game B, probably a B. I think I think a B would be fair. I didn't like necessarily the sloppiness. I I called this game to a T and knew it was going to be sloppy from the outset. There were some sloppiness, you know, kind of down the down the stretch of the, of the game, and I was like, ah, you know, something's gonna be can be fixed up, you know, here and there. It nothing something that's on, on maybe like raise my eyebrow, and I'm like. But it was stuff I was like, ah, like, you know, clean that up, be fine. But it's also a lovely thing, the fact that you can hold a team, however bad, however banged up and not great they are, holding a team to 15 points and just whooping them down and down. I think Bill Connolly had this at a 99.6% uh, win expectancy for Wake postgame. They whooped them. And, you know, you scored 43 points playing, like, not like garbage, but – even you admitted, like, hey, cool, we didn't we didn't play that well on offense. We scored 43 points. I think anyone will take that. You scored before garbage time, you scored 4.3 yards like yards per um points per drive. That's insane. You'll take that in a heartbeat. You can guarantee yourself four points over four points a drive. You take that, especially how many drives Wakes and get, you take that in a heartbeat. But I thought it was a good win. Recruits seem to love it. Uh and I think I think they'll come out for a little bowl be a bit less rusty you know they have a game now and they you know they'll now come get back into practice i think we'll have some, some better practices this week we'll be good and for now we'll hear a word from our sponsors kicking it over to wake basketball so first things first there is a commitment announcement for aaron clark he is the number 122 overall prospect in the 2023 class he is between Wake Forest and Miami. We'll be announcing live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Myself and Les will be promoting this out during the day. Um, it's at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Sorry for West Coasters or anyone overseas that might be asleep during that. He, he's, a, he's interesting to sort of prospect. So he's 6'6", 182. He is a lethal shooter. Everything, everything I've heard about him is just that he can just put the ball in the hoop. He was being courted by the likes of like Georgetown and Kansas State and LSU, Maryland, Rutgers, Seton Hall, TCU, Washington, Xavier, et cetera, St. John's, I think, as well. From before, uh, during his like during his last year, and then towards Labrum, and has finally started getting cleared for the play again. But you know, it's been about you know six, seven months since that's happened. And unfortunately, when that happens stock drops and I mean before his injury according to 24 7 sports you know he was a top 70 player they, they had him as a on the on the actual 247 ratings um system they had him as a 91 so they had him as a solid four star 69th and um, as high as 67th in the country through the composites so you know taking into consideration all of the other rating systems combined he kind of fluctuated anywhere between 42nd and 62nd so I mean he was so he, he was a solid four-star prospect that got people really enjoyed. He was he, he was a really good prospect. And then you know, just missed this upcoming evaluation period. And people are gonna ding you for that because you're hurt. That's just how it goes. Um, I'm not gonna necessarily say this is some sort of steal, I'm like, oh cool, they've got the the next Chandi Brown or the next Isaiah, uh, the next Isaiah Mucius right now. But I really like what I've what I've watched out of him. And you know, I think when he gets 
now I think Natalie is fully healthy. I think we'll have a little bit of, I think we'll have a pretty good senior year. I'm not necessarily putting out crystal ball or anything. I don't think crystal balls. I'm not going to sit here and tease and say, you know, I, here's an anagram of, of Clark and one tweet or something like that. You know, I feel good about how Wake sits right here. Uh, there is a Wake Forest is the crystal ball leader on 24 seven sports. You know, I feel, I feel fine about where Wake pick is. Just want to see it get to the finish line and we go from there. Not so much of having no, not so much of having no faith in Forbes. I have a lot of faith in how Steve Forbes recruits in high school, but I mean, we've just seen a bunch of wacky stuff happening that is just kind of out of most people's controls, including Steve Forbes at this point happen in basketball recruiting. And, you know, I just want to see it get through finish line. Just want to see him see if, see if, if he does say, you know, Wake Forest at 6 PM on Monday and we'll kind of go from there. Moving towards a, another target, uh, George Washington III out of Chaminade Julian, um, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, shooting guard, 6'2". I think he's more, I, I probably classify more as combo guard. 6'2", 165. He is a decommit from Ohio State. Decommitted from there on September the 5th. And since then, he's really kind of narrowed down his list to three schools. Louisville, Michigan, Wake Forest. He had a final five of Dayton, Virginia. I don't necessarily, I haven't seen him going on a visit to Dayton, Virginia. I think they're a bit full at the high school levels, minus maybe one target that isn't George Washington third. So it's really down to these three of Michigan, Louisville, and Wake. Just going through his timeline right now, he is, he recently finished up an official visit at Michigan, October 8th. And then he has an official visit scheduled for Wake Forest, October 22nd. For his timeline, he has been very clear that he wants to be signed on in the November signing period. So November 9th, um, that's his, his quote unquote um, in an article in, uh, on 247sports.com. The goal is to have a decision for the signing period, he said. For now, I want to see that each team wants me, but also has to need on the roster of me. On top of that, I want a place that feels like home, gets me a good education, and where I'm proud to have went to that school at the end of it. Currently, George Washington III is ranked as a four-star, both in the composite and the 24-7 sports um, rankings itself, 106th by 24-7 sports, 76th in the, in the country by the composite. Looks like a very good prospect. So the interesting thing here with him is that timeline. Like I mentioned, he's already taken his, his official visit to Michigan. He has his official visit coming up later in this week. He wants to sign in the November period, which is November 9th. November 7th or the 10th is a dead period. If you're doing math right now, that means if he is sticking to that, that script, and I have no reason to believe that he's not sticking to that script right now, if he wants to be signed on November 9th, he has nine days to figure out in a visit to Louisville. His schedule has been reportedly very tricky, just getting in dates, hence why he's taking an official visit on a Thursday and Friday instead of the usual you know, Friday and Saturday official visit. But... Um, but he's, but I'm, I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm intrigued to see, you know, how this plays out. I think Michigan has a couple of guys that are higher on the board. I don't think they wasted an official visit on him for their health, but I think there are guys on their board that they're, that are a bit higher on their, on board than him. Um, not saying that he's not a good prospect, but I mean, everyone has people higher on their board than them. I don't, not going to sit here and say, I think Wake you know, is, this could be this, this is it, you know, Wake is like read the tea leaves right here. But I think it's important to know all the facts where things are sitting at. Wake has done a very good job in this recruitment. They've done a fantastic job this recruitment, actually. And, you know, 
the way the stars are aligning right now, you know, I think they can make a good push here. Sometimes you just win battles of attrition. That's just life. You win in football. Wake does it. Wake does it a decent amount, and no one seems to have an issue with there. You know, sometimes you got to take wins how you get them, and this could be a four-star win for a combo guard that I think they could win. I think they're set up set up really well. You know, I want to see if he does end up getting the Louisville, but you know, if he doesn't, you feel you feel pretty decent about where you sit right now, especially if he sticks to the the plan of wanting to sign on November 9th. But, you know, things can change. Things can always change. We'll see how it goes. Moving on to the Louisville game for this weekend. I don't know how they beat Pitt. Well, I don't know how they beat Pitt. Four, four turnovers, that'll do it for you. Louisville's always a game that is just treated Wake really awkwardly. Last year, I mean, Wake played probably their worst offensive game as a whole in that game. Like, I was really surprised how bad that offense really played. The defense had their moments of playing not great either, especially in the last seconds of that game. But, I mean, the offense, like, just couldn't do much in that game, and it was really surprising to hear, to see that. But, I mean, you look at – I don't really classify 2020 as, like, a trap game because I remember that, remember that was the year that they had two weeks off after – I think it was actually three weeks off after, you know, COVID outbreak, after the UNC game. And we could very much tell Wake had not tackled in three weeks. You know, but the year before that in 2019, where you know, Wake's, Wake's coming in there, the the county, the county fair, um, the Carolina Classic Fair. And, you know, it's just a weird, sleepy game from start to finish. CBS definitely recovered that onside kick, but whatever, man. Yeah, this is it, it's a weird game for Wake. You know, it's on the road. I can see that Wake opened up as five-point favorites, you know, looking at – just you know, looking at odds right now, I can see it. I see it around four, four and a half, depending on the different books. And um, you know, I'm taking the four and a half. I have this line at I have this line at Wake minus eight and a half, um, eight and a half, nine, depending on if I actually do use home field advantage or not. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, depending on where it's at. So, but I mean, I have Wake. Is, you know, should we double the favorites that they are right now? Louisville's an interesting team. I mean, we all know Malik Cunningham. He is the the engine that makes that go. That offense hasn't been offense hasn't really been all that great though. Like that's a, that's been the weird thing about Louisville this year. It's like they're supposed to be a team that's just you know bludgeoning you through the offense, and they really haven't been. EPA metrics. I mean, they're EPA per game sixty fifth on offense, ninetieth in in passing, seventy second in rushing. Obviously, excuse me. They're sixties. Uh, they're ninetieth in EPA per, per play. 72nd in rushing, 95th in in their actual pass on um, passing EPA. They haven't really been a they have not been a good offense. I know they're and they're also a bit banged up with the wide receivers. I know that um, they lost a receiver in the FSU game for the year. And it looks like, I mean, Amani Huggins Bruce, it was a really weird thing that tweeted out that he was gonna miss the next two games and then deleted it. That obviously the reporters asked. Satterfield coach Scott Satterfield of you know what what the hell and he was like basically gave the whole coach speak of you know he's he's been practicing we're all for fine with him he did not play last night um well time is recording last night is Saturday he didn't play on Saturday Louisville went out there and ran essentially not essentially they ran four receivers they ran Braden Smith Jalen Carter Chris Bell and Tyler Hudson Tyler Hudson played every single snap for that offense he played all 60 snaps I mean, they're, they're a bit banged up on, at the wideout position. I think that as a collective group, 
I think as a as a full on collective group, they might be. Oh, this is tough. I think I think I'd probably put them as a whole the same as Zay Flower as as BC. I don't think they have. I think I think Tyler Hudson's a good, a good wide receiver. I don't want to get that lost at all. I think he's a good receiver, but I think that it's just comparing the entire groups. I think that Boston College has one superstar and a bunch of men, and I think Louisville has a bunch of above meh people at wide receiver right now enough to make it make kind of even there. They're gonna they're gonna probably try to lean on the running game, you know, which has been which is something really interesting for Wake because Wake has actually done really well against mobile quarterbacks this year. They've done really well against running backs in general this year. I mean, the only game that they really haven't done well against was the Liberty game. And that game just continues to look like just an anomaly. I know it looks like Liberty's a good team, but it looks like that game just might be a statistical anomaly at this point. They've done really well against the run. They've done really well against mobile quarterbacks. And you know, I think they match up really well against this against this Louisville offense. You know, down and down, I think they they match up really well. You know, looking at Louisville's defense. It's it's a it's a decent defense. Uh, they are uh, 38th in EPA per play, on EPA per game, 54th in EPA per play, 70th on the ground, 47th through the air. They haven't really been getting a lot of people dicing them up through the air, but they have been miserable on the ground. Like they let that Boston College, they let Broom and and Garwell run for 140, almost 150 yards on 21 carries and touchdown. Like they they were not good on the ground. They let I mean they let Boston College do anything they wanted to against them. UCF UCF just had thirty eight rushes for two hundred and eight yards against them, and just decided why not throw the ball twenty five times in the second half. I don't get what UCF's play calling there, but I mean they got a gash on the ground with UCF. It looked like last night with Izzy. I mean Izzy was Izzy twenty eight carries one hundred twenty nine yards and a touchdown. He did he did his job so. Don Slovis, I'm a, I'm a look, I'm looking at you really quickly. Um, I mean, I know, I know there was a, there was a fumble from Izzy and I think one from Ronnie Hammond Jr. Yes, I think, I think it was what two picks, a Slovis fumble and a Ronnie Hammond Jr. fumble. But so yeah, so Slovis accounted for three of the four turnovers. But Pitt definitely ran out all over them. Syracuse with Sean Tucker and Garrett Trader ran all over them. And, you know, it was a little weird because that was the game that Jordan Travis was out, but well, not out, but he got hurt and was knocked out of the game. FSU ran all over them and passed all over them. So I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of the numbers for Pitt, for uh, Louisville right now. I think they're a team that has a not good run defense, a very not good run defense. And I also think they're a team that's played a bunch of just not good teams throwing the ball. I don't think Syracuse is a good team at throwing the ball. I think Gatson's good, but I don't think as a whole they're a good passing offense. UCF is, is one of the worst passing offenses with John Reese Plumley. Florida State gashed them up. South Florida is a bad team. Boston College gashed them up with Zay Flowers. Virginia is a bad passing offense right now, as we've seen. I don't, I'm sure you guys watched the Georgia Tech VBA game. That passing offense looks awful. And I don't think... I don't think Keaton Slovis is good. I went into the year thinking Deion Slovis wasn't that good, and he's really shown me that. I mean, I know they're missing. They, they had one guy hit the portal, but, I mean, they had Jared Wayne there, um, Gavin Bartholomew. Izzy, um, Izzy's fine on the backfield. I just think Keaton Slovis just isn't that good. So I, I think they might just be they might just be a product of 
the same. They might be a product. They've just been playing a bunch of bad passing teams. So I'm I'm a little intrigued by that. I'm just pulling up the NCAA statistics right now just to see, you know, where in terms of actual, you know, yardage and, every, and everything everyone is. In terms of passing yards allowed, Louisville ranks 51st. They give up 217.6 uh, yards per game. You know, and, you know, I said they're not the best at a – they're not exactly the best in terms of, of running defense. They are the – they're 60, of which, you know, which is really weird at 136.7 yards per uh, – yards per game, but I mean, you go through these running backs and Broom, eight, nine for 83 and touchdown, Garwell, 12 for 66. Um, John Reese Plumley himself, 17 carries for 83 yards. Isaiah Bowser, 15, 51 and two touchdowns. Just, I'm, I, oh, this is, this is the perfect time to bring up game on paper because I think this is, this is where a place, a place like this shines is I can go back and look at, you know, week, week two for this Louisville team and say, hey, you know, what uh you know down and down how are you how are you running on Louisville and against UCF it was a it was not a, it was not exactly the prettiest of of run of run defenses UCF was running in the 83rd percentile yeah that's bad <laughs> you don't want anyone to be running in the 85th percentile on you if i if i can extend that further to you know to like the FSU game, a game that they were again not really, they they just were getting gashed like on the run on the run game. I mean, I can just look at the actual normal statistics for that one. Trayvon um, Trayvon Ward had ten carries for 126 yards. Trey Benson ten carries for 70 yards. Uh, Lawrence Tolafili six for 20, six for 20, still had a touchdown on them. Like they like they, this could be a game, and I don't. This, this is not gambling advice. We don't give those out on this show. But I mean, if you were ever looking at a spot where a team like, where a guy like Justice Ellison and Christian Turner could really, really do some damage, it's it, it's this game. I mean, the game against FSU. And I think this is the most damning part of Louisville is a game that their wide receivers, we all pretty much know FSU's receivers are just the most inconsistent people on the planet. I, I, a friend, a friend, a friend of mine, Bud Elliott, noted on the Cover Three podcast that you know if a guy like Johnny Wilson could actually catch consistently, he wouldn't be wearing an FSU helmet. He'd be wearing an Alabama helmet. He'd be wearing a Georgia helmet. There was a reason Michael Pittman left Oregon. It wasn't so much that he was not good. That so much that he would like just need to change the scenery. It was the fact that he just couldn't catch the ball. He was too inconsistent. They're they're teaching a guy. They're teaching another guy how to essentially be a wide receiver. Like he, they're, they're doing the Kendall Hinton experiment. They have one of the worst offensive lines that you can see. I, one of their left tackle went down the game. Jordan Travis went down this game. There were so many odds against this against this FSU team. And then it's, and then you bring in a guy who sits there and throws a pass that will make you lose your job as an offensive coordinator. And FSU, 82nd percentile in yards per play. 59th percentile in success rate. 79th in EPA per play. 71st in EPA per drop back, 74th in EPA per rush. You basically could have just said, hey, and they tried, and Louisville tried to sit there and say, we're going to try to you know, stuff the box and make sure like you can only just pass the ball. And not only could they not stop them from running the ball, they couldn't stop them passing the ball. So I think there's a, I think this, this Louisville team has a lot of holes to fill. 
And, you know, I think they they have some wins. And go, like, you still have to win games, and they've been winning games, and they've been forcing turnovers. But I think this is a game that if you don't turn the ball over four times, and I actually want to see how many times they, they turned it over against UVA. I should pull it up before, before I record the podcast. I actually want to see this now. That game was also awful. Yeah, they turned UVA over three times. Uh, UVA turned them over twice. I feel like there's a theme here in the, this team like UVA and this team like and this team like Pitt. You know, you you turn the ball over against them and you're gonna be you're gonna be terrible. But the teams who aren't turning the ball over against Louisville are just taking them to the woodshed. And I think that's and I think that's an issue. Like I, I think that's a that's a glaring issue. And I think that was something that we saw with Syracuse and Clemson last year. Not last, last week on Saturday that if you can get turnovers, you can sit there and beat a team. Syracuse was getting annihilated down the down, like absolutely annihilated. You look at that final box score, Clemson had 450 total yards. Hughes garbage time their way into 291. Hughes was getting outgained by almost by almost 200 by 200 yards. That's that's not your, and they were winning for most of the game. That's not sustainable. The only reason they were winning the game is because Clemson turned the ball over four times. Like that's, and that's why, that's why I think it's important not to just look at the overall statistics of just like, just flat out number. Oh, well, you had this many yards and this many yards. I think it's important sometimes, sometimes right here with Syracuse and, and Clemson, it tells a story. That story, the story you look at the box scores goes, wait, how did you only win by six points? And it's, turnovers and I think looking at it down by down you get a, a little bit of a clearer picture with this Louisville team it goes maybe that defense is a little bit shotter than we think down and down and they're just getting real fortunate with turnover luck right now but I mean that's why we play the game really appreciate you guys listening and showing your support to this uh, we've just been, I've just been getting so much love from this and Lessa has as well this has been, been great feel free to leave five stars and have a podcast wherever you can Share it with your friends. It's always appreciated. As always, go Deeks.